0: As we go to prayer, I'll remind you that Tuesday we will have a funeral here for Sim Fulcher as we celebrate the faithfulness of God in the life of our dear brother Sim. That'll be at 1 o'clock. At 12 o'clock, the family will host a visitation in the commons area just prior to the service. Join us as we say goodbye and say glory to God for bringing another saint safely home. Let's pray together. Father, in a world that is focused on sadness without any relief, despair without any hope, confusion without any clarity, we thank you for prayer. We thank you, Jesus, that you're at the Father's right hand and that you've invited us to come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Only you know what we need, Father, only you are our need and we praise you father that through sadness through despair through confusion your spirit turns us back to the place of light and life and love the very throne of God thank you that each person here today can draw near through Jesus Christ we pray that as your words are spoken that the Holy Spirit would move in each heart. We pray Lord that you would bring a personal message to each person and if there's anyone here in the sanctuary, on campus, or listening by way of live stream that doesn't know the Savior, would you meet them? May they embrace by faith the resurrected Savior. We know Lord that you're a God of reversals, and you're a God of renewals. Make us a place in this church that strangers feel welcome because you are that God of reversals and renewals. Those that are outside and feel like strangers, you would make them at home in this church. Those that are wounded would feel safe. Those that are hopeless would learn that there's joy because Jesus lives today. Father, use this church to shape the souls of the next generation. Thank you for the privilege that we have to pass the faith to the next generation. And we pray for our children. We thank you for our children's ministry. We thank you for our youth staff. We pray that you would use this church, Father, to literally shape the souls of the next generation of disciples of Jesus. We thank you for our missionaries many scattered all around the world separate from their families, but today we pray that they would know your nearness, they would have the hope and joy of the resurrected Savior, and Lord, they would speak with boldness and courage, even amidst hostility or opposition or even rejection. Lord, thank you that you are building your kingdom and that Christianity is spreading all to the ends of the earth. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, Come quickly and revive and save our nation. Renew followers of Jesus humble serving you. Use us, Father, to spread this message to the ends of the earth. And for those that are suffering and hurting, we do pray for them. Thank you for the Fulcher family. Thank you for Mark and Lynn and and Betsy and Catherine and their families and children. And though we are sad to say goodbye, it is our loss. We celebrate the coming home of this dear brother, Sim. We thank you, Father, for your mercy in giving us the hope of eternal life, even those that are battling cancer. Be near to those that are sick and struggling. All this we pray in the powerful name of Christ. As we pray, we use the words Christ taught his disciples as we say together. Our Father, who art in heaven.
1: Let me take this opportunity to welcome you again to this glorious Resurrection Sunday morning. Just a couple of announcements uh, for you. If you'd like to pray with someone following the service, our prayer team will be available in room 102, which is down to my right at the end of the hall. I'd love to be able to pray with you there. Again, we thank you for the ways, many ways that you support the ministries of this church. It's a blessing to us and we are greatly encouraged by it. I also want to remind you that nominations for officers are now open and will be open through next Sunday. Nomination forms can be found on either side behind the worship area and also in the back. Uh, The sun has opened up. It's a beautiful spring day in Augusta. If you'd like to have your Easter Sunday family pictures taken, then um, our photographer will be out there immediately following the service to my left in the courtyard to take those photos. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Let me ask you to stand now. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. Share that peace with one another. continue our worship singing this morning.
0: Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Our text for this morning is found on page 992 in the Bible provided for you in the pew. We took a break from our study of 2 Samuel this Holy Week and we looked at voices from the Passion Week. Last Sunday we heard the voice of a sovereign king who rides into our suffering. Maundy Thursday the voice of injustice, where innocent man was not only accused but convicted unjustly. Good Friday was the voice of judgment, the judgment of God against sin taken on by Christ. Today we hear the voice of resurrection renewal. Light does come and dispel the darkness, life does come and overtake the fear and reality of death. And love does arrive to destroy hurt, hate, and even despair. We'll see in this text why we need the resurrection. We'll see what the resurrection accomplishes for us, and we'll see how the resurrection changes everything about us. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray together. Open our eyes, Father, to see the reality of the resurrection, and shine thy light into our hearts. There's anyone here doubting. There's anyone here distant. There's anyone here... That opposes the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would today be their coming home? Would today be a renewal? Would today be a meeting and embrace of the Savior? This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Easter is a beautiful celebration. The flowers are beautiful. You're all dressed so beautifully in your Easter bonnets with all the frills upon them and the eggs are beautiful. It's a a wonderful celebration. But I'll ask you this question, is it true? I'll ask it a different way, is Christianity true? Christianity that has spread now all across the globe, it's the first worldwide religion spreading fastest in Asia, in the Global South, in Africa, and in South America? Is Christianity true? What is the proof of Christianity? C.S. Lewis was an Oxford Oxford professor and an atheist for many years. His friends, like J.R. Tolkien, challenged his dismissal of Christianity, and they asked him to look at the evidence. And as a professor of medieval literature, he began to look at the evidence for not only Christianity, but the evidence for Jesus Christ. And as he calls himself the most reluctant convert in all of England, he bowed his knee to the risen Lord because the evidence helped him see that the credibility of Christianity rests on the credibility of the person of Jesus Christ. And the credibility of Jesus Christ rests on the credibility of the resurrection. Lewis said, think of this. Jesus made staggering claims. He said he had authority to forgive sins. Jesus said, that he always existed and he was part of the creation from the beginning of time. He's part of creating the world. Jesus declared that he would forgive humanity's rebellion and sin through his death and that he would rise again on the third day. Jesus said that he intended to come back and in in a moment judge the whole world and to make all things new. Staggering claims. Lewis proposed a famous trilemma. He said, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying something foolish, like I accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. A man who was merely a man and said and did the sort of things Jesus did would not be a moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. Yet, he does not give us the opportunity to embrace the patronizing nonsense that he was a great moral teacher. You see, Christianity rests on who Jesus Christ is, and who Jesus Christ is rests on the resurrection. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the resurrection. Last week I was with a dear friend, he's a member of our church. He wanted to meet with me and plan his funeral. Now he told me right off the bat that he did not know of any impending health conditions. He said I'm of age where I need to be planning these things. But he said I want you to know that uh, I want my funeral to be a celebration. I believe that death is my friend because I belong to Jesus. He was a surgeon in his career and he said that when he would talk to patients who faced dire diagnoses, he would ask them if they were a Christian and he said, if you're a believer death is your friend. He told me that I want on my tombstone this passage right here. He is not here, he has risen just as he said, go and tell The world. It was a powerful testimony to me and through the years, the 30 years that I've been here, one of the things that's been such a blessing is the way that this congregation has taught me how to live well, taught me how to love well, taught me how to suffer well, and taught me how to die well because these people have embraced the risen Lord. Have you embraced the risen Lord? Do you believe that Jesus lives, Jesus loves, Jesus saves, and Jesus will come again and set the world right? That's the powerful and transformative message of the resurrection. I mentioned that in our text we will see why we need the resurrection. We will see what the resurrection accomplished for us, and we will see how the resurrection changes everything about us. But I just wanna make these few points that are the implications of this truth, and I'll bring it back at the end of the sermon. Because the resurrection is true, this is proof that heaven really exists. Because the resurrection is true, This is proof that your life, no matter what your circumstances or sadness might be, your life can be full of joy and hope. The resurrection is proof that you no longer need to fear death and the resurrection is proof that your best days are in your future. Now let's look at the text. Why do we need a resurrection? We need a resurrection because of our rebellion against the Creator and Redeemer of our souls. Jesus came to defeat the domain of darkness, and this text here starts in the darkness. Now Matthew is using somewhat of a literary uh, device of sorts to point us to a reality. He said it was toward the day of dawn, but he's conflicting and contrasting several realities. The first is the conflict between physical darkness and light. Notice that he says it was toward the dawn, at the first day of the week. You might say at the disciples' worst moment, at the place where they least had any human hope. Have you ever felt that way? Have you been at a place where it appeared this is as dark as darkness can be? You see the contrast between darkness and light. You also see the contrast in the conflict between the material world and between the spirit world. It says a great earthquake shook and moved the stone. An angel descended and was seated on that stone, and those Roman guards were terrified. You see the material world being shaken. This was the second time an earthquake had happened in three days. Matthew records in chapter 27 that there was an earthquake at the death of Christ that shook even the tombs of the saints in Jerusalem and opened them up as a declaration that God conquers darkness with light. So you see the contrast between physical darkness and light, between the material world and the spirit world. But notice also the contrast and conflict between earthly powers and eternal powers. We're told in the end of chapter 27 that the Jewish religious leaders ordered or requested that the Roman guards, the Imperial guards, guard that tomb to make sure that the disciples did not go and steal the body And perpetuate this claim that Jesus had made is that in three days he would rise from the dead. No worry about the disciples stealing the body because they were nowhere to be found. But look at what God declares here. He declares power over the earthly powers. Those Roman guards had taken an oath and if they didn't complete their assignment, they were executed because they were under oath to fulfill the mission, and yet you see eternal power declaring its power over even earthly power. So how do we see that darkness is being defeated? Well, rebellion didn't begin when Jesus came to the earth. Rebellion began in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, where God had separated the light from the darkness, he had also commanded our first parents to live in the light. But the dark evil one, the serpent, came to Adam and Eve and they deceived Adam and Eve. Satan told Adam and Eve that God's word is not trustworthy and he is not your advocate, God is your adversary you can be God, you can rebel like I did, you can be like God. And in that rebellion they brought darkness into this world and death. God came to them, He declared that they were judged and cursed and that though their bodies did not die, they were on the road of death. But He promised He promised a resurrection. He said that one will come and destroy the darkness and in his bruising of his heel, he will crush the head of evil. It was Genesis chapter 3. It was the declaration that a Savior would come and he would destroy the darkness. Now Matthew 27 tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, darkness covered the whole earth for three hours. We heard these cries from Jesus, My God, my God, why are you forsaken me? But we also heard these cries from Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the reassurance to the thief on the cross, surely you will be with me today in paradise. And then Jesus's last words, it is finished. He was defeating the darkness. He was displaying the Spirit's power over the material world and he was declaring that the eternal powers or the earthly powers are no match for the eternal powers. Romans 6 23 speaks of this defeat of death where Paul said the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And you might say, well Mike, I'm not a rebellious person. I came to church today. I try to do good things. I give to the United Way. I'm not a rebellious person, but I'll ask you this. Do you worship Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord? Have you bowed your knee to him in surrender? Is he the center of your life? Does he guide your decision making? Do your desires that you use to guide your life, are your desires first given to him to ask, what would you have me to do? That's an indication that you've had an encounter with a resurrected Savior. If you say, I call the shots. If you say, I make the rules. If you say, I love what I want and I ignore what I want, you're in rebellion against God darkness is covering your heart. Well, you need also an intervention from the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, rebellion. That's why we need the resurrection. Secondly, what did the resurrection accomplish? Well, the resurrection defeated death. And I mentioned that you see the contrast between darkness and light, the conflict between the material world, and the eternal world. You see the conflict between the earthly powers and the eternal powers, but what you see, Jesus didn't just enter into the conflict. He conquered death, he conquered evil with his death so that we might be reconciled to God. That's what faith in Jesus Christ does. It makes strangers and enemies of God, friends and sons and daughters. We don't run from God, we turn to him. That's a sign that God has found you and that his resurrection power has changed your heart. We don't ask, what do I want? We ask, what does Jesus want? It's a great reversal that reconciles us to God. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians five seventeen: If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, for God was in Christ reconciling us to himself, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. For God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we're made right with God, when we're reconciled with God, we embrace the Savior, we worship him, and we live to follow his word. And not our own word. Notice here in the text that Jesus has defeated death, and we see that he's conquered death in a mocking sense. You know, Paul mocked death where he said, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? There's a sense in which, even in this text, death is being mocked. You see, first, the metaphysical significance of the conquering of death. You notice here probably the most comical moment is the angel sitting on the stone. Matthew says that this angel who's come from heaven is wearing lightning clothes. These earthly powers, these Roman guards, have fallen back. They're stunned in fear. Well what's the angel doing? (laughs) He's sitting on the stone. He's reminding all that the heavenly powers have conquered all earthly powers. There's metaphysical significance. There's prophetic significance. Verse 6 says that the angel says, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that have been given for thousands of years. Jesus fulfilled prophecies that he could not even fulfill if he chose to, like which tomb that he'd be buried in. Jesus fulfilled prophecies about what his kind of death he would have experienced. A crucifixion described by the psalmist when the practice of crucifixion had not even been put as a practice. Jesus said the Son of Man will suffer, be rejected, uh, be killed, and on the third day he would rise from the dead. So there's prophetic significance. There's existential significance. Notice That the angel says, go tell his disciples, and Jesus says, tell my brothers. Salvation is a reconciling of relationship. The center of the universe is not chaos or randomness, it's the love of the Heavenly Father who has sent Jesus on a mission to reconcile us to God. The center of our lives is relationship with God but you have to notice the transformational significance. What transformed these women? What transformed these disciples who were hiding for fear of their own death? Think about what transformed their beliefs about the afterlife. They were Jews and though they believed in a general resurrection, they thought that would happen at the end of the age. They had no idea or they weren't expecting a personal resurrection. They had beliefs about God that were changed because of the resurrection. Jews would have never believed that God would become a man. And their views of God changed because of the resurrection. Their beliefs about the Sabbath changed because of the resurrection. The Sabbath was such a sacred day for every Jew. And yet, they changed to the day of resurrection as the day to declare. This is when God meets us. Their views about the scriptures changed. Peter said Paul's writings are on par with scripture. What would have changed a Jew for believing that the scriptures changed? Only a personal encounter with a resurrected Lord. And then their responsibilities changed. This little fearful band put together a movement that we have st- stood recipients of. And believers all over the world still hear this story of the resurrection because it's true and it brings about power to transform your life. The only explanation we can believe is they encountered the risen Lord. We're told that Jesus appeared not simply to the Marys, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room, he appeared to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, He appeared to the disciples on the Mount of Olives and over 500 people at one time. They absolutely were so struck by the resurrection, it changed everything about them. So why we need the resurrection? Because we have rebellious hearts. What the resurrection accomplished for us, it reconciled us to God and changed everything. How will the resurrection change the way you live? It should cause us to live in the dawning of a new day. It Should cause us to live like we believe, not that hope is waiting for us in the future, but that hope has come to us from the future. And now hope like a new Genesis is growing within us. God is remaking a people for himself and a community. And those people are declaring that Jesus lives that Jesus loves, that Jesus saves, and that Jesus can bring life to dead hearts. Jesus can bring love to those that are in despair and filled with hate. You see this intimate encounter with the resurrected Lord. That's what faith is. You might ask, what is faith in Jesus Christ? It's an intimate, personal encounter with the risen Lord where you no longer trust in yourself, but you trust and you hope in him. You bow and worship Jesus. Verses 8 through 10 tell us that Jesus meets them. Salvation always begins with God. Jesus greets them. This word, greetings, is the word we get, or we translate normally grace, but it was a greeting, but it was so much more than that. Jesus didn't just say, be glad and be filled with hope. It's a little stronger than that. Jesus said, I am glad and I am filled with hope. But the word's even stronger than that. It actually means, join me in my gladness and in my hope. That's the salvation experience where Jesus says, join me in my gladness and in my hope, how do they respond? They embrace him. They fall at his feet. They worship him. They'd lost him once. They never want to let him go because they discovered this is now my life. This reversal that's taken place is how I want to live. I want to worship him. I want to praise him. I want to have the joy and the gladness that his resurrection brings me. But then he sends them. Go. Gather disciples. Build a community. Build a community that lives in the joy and the hope of my resurrection. Live in the new day. That's what Psalm 118 says. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. We're called to live in a community no matter how sad, no matter how confused, No matter how hurt, we're to live and remind one another Jesus lives, Jesus loves, Jesus saves, and Jesus is making all things new. One of the things I appreciate so much about this intergenerational community is that I learn from so many who've gone before us. And I've learned to talk to those that are in their 40s and their 50s about things that others have told me about what to expect. In a world where we're living longer and longer, we're experiencing a kind of sadness with the bodies that we have wearing out, and we're experiencing a kind of separation from our families. But I tell men and women in their 40s and 50s that from this point forward, even if you've you might say, dodged a number of difficult moments, your losses are going to outpace your gains from this time forward. Doesn't sound like very good news, does it? But the rest of your life, you can expect your losses are going to outpace your gains going forward. But what I've also found is that what this is doing for us Is teaching us how to accept our losses but to grow our longings, to let go of our losses, that our longings might be focused and might be refined. What are your longings this morning? As you experience loss, and I'm not minimizing the pain and the difficulty of loss, it makes us long for the beauty of heaven. It makes us long for the joy of heaven. It makes us long for the joy and the hope that we will know when Jesus returns to us. This Tuesday, we'll say goodbye to a dear brother, Sim Fulcher, a native of Augusta, his family members here, Mark and Lynn and their children, Catherine, Betsy. But on Saturday of Palm Sunday that weekend I got a call from the Fulchers. Mark said I believe that he's at death's door and I said I want to come now I want to pray with him I want to be with him. Sim was like my cheerleader I don't know why he adopted me but he always just found me and gave me a word of encouragement maybe he was your cheerleader too but uh, sitting around his bed I walked in to a family reading scripture singing songs, and celebrating the hope even as they were letting go. Mark called me, and on Palm Sunday, when he went to be with the Lord, the family was singing hymns and reading Scripture. They were letting go, but Jesus wasn't letting go. We're told in salvation that Jesus wraps his arms around us. John 10 says that no one can snatch us from Jesus' arms. And when we leave this life, we leave this life in the secure arms of our Savior. He brings us to our eternal home. As we've walked through the kind of sadness and horrific evil that we've seen with our dear brothers and sisters in Nashville with Covenant Presbyterian Church, my heart has ached for friends in that church. My heart is ached for the pastor, Chad Scruggs. One of my closest friends is a dear friend of Chad's and he told my friend, who told me this week, that Chad said, Satan will not have a victory in this sanctuary. We're going to have the funerals and we're going to celebrate that King Jesus loves, that King Jesus lives. We're going to tell the world that Jesus conquers hate Jesus conquers death, and even in our tears we're gonna to sing to joy. It was a powerful testimony to me. It's something that I've heard from members of this congregation, the nearer and nearer they get to home. As Claude Meadows reminded me that it was just one year ago that Irene entered into heaven, and I think about dear brothers like Jacko Tyson and Barry Whitney and Julie McDonald and others that have gone those saints remind us, Jesus lives, Jesus loves, he'll never let us go. So what about you? Has the resurrection convinced you that the future is your friend? Has the resurrection convention, uh, convinced you that life is your friend? You can be free to live in joy and hope, even if you don't know what comes next. Has the resurrection convinced you that death, even death, is your friend. Lewis said, make your choice. He either was or is the Son of God or a fool or a madman. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Bow to him and embrace the lover of your soul. I'm gonna close with a small video from just after that Nashville funeral. Chief of police, John Drake, who was on the news regularly for days, and he walked with the family through the tragic sadness. He went to all the funerals. He was at that funeral that I mentioned where Chad Scruggs said goodbye to his daughter but he hoped for the renewal that he would see her again. Listen to John Drake's words to see how powerful the resurrection testimony uh, message gives us even in our
2: sadness. so far? Five, I have one more which is Ms. Kuntz, uh, which will be uh, tomorrow. I've had the opportunity to talk to parents and they are incredibly thankful everything and what i've learned in this is i've renewed my faith because as i sat in a church saturday and i watched students from covenant school take flowers down to the altar and literally i'm in tears and the other first responders police officers firefighters were in tears and i look at these kids and they look at us and they say Thank you for your service and they believe that their classmate is going to heaven that they're in a better place and they're not hurting the ones that were hurting the most was us and so i want to thank covenant school for instilling that in them and for teaching them there's maybe something better that they're not hurting anymore
0: what a testimony to pass to the next generation A testimony that says, young children, the future is your friend. Young children, your life is your friend. Young children, even death can be your friend when you belong to Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to us to meet us, to greet us, to embrace us, that we might embrace you week by week, we gather to celebrate your resurrection. Each morning, we're reminded that mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, if there's anyone here that does not have that resurrection joy and hope, touch their heart. Meet them. Give them salvation. And those that have been distant and those that are hurting and doubting. Touch their hearts this morning with resurrection, joy, and hope. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.